I'm not pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Uh, coronavirus edition. Um, anyway, <laughs> one day, guys, I will actually drive to work. I'm, I, I'm, uh, I don't think it'll be very soon, but I promise. One day, I'll actually be in a car. Um, but last time, uh, I talked about the design of call time. And I had a lot of fun things to say, but I ran out of time. So today is uh, the second part. I, th- I think this is going to be a two-parter. We'll, we'll see. Um, okay, so last time I talked about how we knew we were going to do top-down Norse world. What did that mean? We wrote stuff on the board. You had to have all the creature types. You had to have combat. You had to have uh, omens and runes and um, talking about all that. So let's let's get into talking about... Um, oh, and gods. Let's talk about the gods. Uh, that was another early thing that happened is um, if, you're, you're, if you're doing – one of the things we learned when we did uh, – we did Theros and we introduced the gods. I mean there were – Kamigawa had gods, although we didn't have the god creature type yet. Um, but in Theros, we sort of introduced the gods. They went over very, very well. Um, and so one of the challenges was uh, we came up with a very cool way to do gods in Theros. We had devotion and the idea of these are and enchantments. We we had tied gods to enchantments, so the fact that gods were enchantment creatures and the idea that they were enchantments that turned into creatures was devotion. It was the perfect marrying of all these things that was really cool. But it wasn't something we could do every time there was a place with gods. Not every world with gods were not going to have enchantments and not going to have devotion. It just wasn't. It wasn't a clean answer. Um, so the second time we kind of did a world with gods was Amenkhet. We were doing Egyptian mythology and that, that, that too had gods. Um, we tried some different things. The one carryover we did between the two gods was some sense of indestructibility, that they're gods and they're hard to kill. Uh, it turns out that play design, that you, you just can only make so many unkillable things, that it's just not, it is not good gameplay, that there's not answers to things. Uh, and so making gods that just were really, really hard to kill ended up being problematic. Now, in Theros, because you had to sort of turn them on and make them into creatures, there were some answers to at least keep them from being the creature part of it. Um, but anyway, we had realized that we had kind of got ourselves in a corner, that indestructible as a de- definition for gods is very hard to design around. Um, but we knew we could like, you, you can't do Norse mythology and not do gods. I mean, it is... Um, I, I, I mean, it, it is uh, of the things you expect to see in Norse mythology, gods are just so high. Um, so one of the things that we knew going in was, okay, we wanted to do gods, but we really had to do them different. We, just, we, we could not do... We couldn't do them the way you did in Theros, and we didn't want them to be indestructible. Although, the one thing that got brought up very early on is um, the gods in Norse mythology can die. Like in Greek mythology, they're kind of, they can't die. You know, you, you, you can't kill them. They're kind of, in, you know, invulnerable or uh, whatever, immortal. They're immortal. Uh, so you kind of can't kill a god. In Greek mythology, you really can't kill a god. Um, in Norse mythology, gods die. That's something that happens. Uh, they're, they're, the gods in Norse mythology are treated more like almost like royalty, like, you know, they're, they're famous and they're, they have powers that are more powerful than the average person, but, um, it's not something, it's, it's, there's a different dynamic between how the Norse gods got done. But anyway, so, okay, so they didn't need indestructible, gods can die, um, how do we make gods, we wanted to make sure they were doing something really cool with the gods. Um, so meanwhile, um, one of the funny things is I, I keep telling the story again and again. And so each time I tell it, I'm trying to tell it from the perspective of that set. So 
what happened was I the, the when I when we get to Strixhaven, one of the impetuses for doing Strixhaven originally was I wanted to do uh, MDFCs, uh, modal double face cards. Uh, it is something that when literally when we made Innistrad, I knew I wanted to do them. I was holding them in my back pocket, and I was asked uh, when we were putting together the worldview, were there mechanics that I wanted to build a world around? Um, and I said yes, I would like to have a set that that had MDFCs in it, um, and. One of the things that uh, there was, it was controversial. Even ironically, even though they are a combination of double face cards and of split cards, both of which the audience has really adored, um, there was nervousness that combining them might be taking two things people love, but somehow when you combine them, they don't love them anymore. Um, I mean, that can happen, I guess. Uh, so I had to put together a team early to do some proof of concept. Uh, just to give Aaron some, I mean, Aaron was on my side, but he just wanted me to make some concrete designs so he could show people. Um, and in the process of doing that, I realized that there were a lot of different executions. Um, so originally when I divvied things up, uh, the, uh, the slot that I had given to, um, the slot that I'd given to call time was, uh, permanence on both sides. That that's the 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 um, or permanence on both sides in which one side isn't a land. Um, we had we had done land. I, I think the way I had done it was uh, Zendikar Rising always had a land on one side, and I think this set um, when I originally pitched it, I think it always had a creature on one side. Um, but anyway, I I knew we wanted to use uh, multiple MDFCs in in some way in the set, um, and meanwhile. We wanted to um, have gods and have gods be distinctive. Uh, and as I think I, I explained, I'm not sure whether my, this predates my article coming out. I, I think my article will be out before I you hear this podcast. Um, I, I, I call this a Reese's peanut butter moment. Um, in the commercials for a long time ago, Reese's peanut butter cups, which is, for those that don't know, it's an American candy, uh, has chocolate and peanut butter in it. And the way they would do the commercials was there'd be some person that would be like eating peanut butter out of a jar and some person that'd be like eating a chocolate bar and they were like not paying attention and then they'd run into each other and then the chocolate bar got into the peanut butter and like the one guy goes, you got your chocolate in my peanut butter. He goes, you got your peanut butter on my chocolate. And then they, they, would, they would taste it like, oh, you know, uh, it was one of those moments where we sort of like we had to figure out MDFCs. We had to figure out gods. And just we were in this meeting where and, – and I, I think I explained this because uh, it was literally Thor and Thor's hammer. Like we had written – what do you expect? Thor. What, our version of Thor. What do you expect? Thor's hammer. And um, we were trying to figure out what to do with the MDFCs. In my head, I kind of said, well, we want a creature on one side. Um, you know, it, that was not – when I first laid it out, I was just trying to make them feel separate from one another. So the idea that th this one had a creature on one side just was what my shorthand. Um, but anyway, I just – the idea that it could be Thor and Th and Thor's hammer, Mjolnir, uh, the, the idea of that on one card just felt like such a cool package um, for two reasons. One is it was just different. There's no god – you know what I'm saying? If, if we wanted to do the gods to do something – really cool and different and using this technology is something we'd never ever done before and we said you know if we just did them on the gods and only did them on the gods it would really set the gods apart and give the gods a specific feel on the set the other thing we realized as we sort of explored the mythology was there's a lot of associations like you know um 
Odin had his raven. Um, and, uh, um, Hemdall had the rainbow bridge. He also had a sword. Um, he ended up being tied to his sword and not to the rainbow bridge, but, um, but anyway, we, we realized that, uh, you know, uh, Freya had her chariot and that there were a lot of things that we realized were connections and things that we can make. And so one of the ideas that sort of happened is said, okay, well, what if, um, what if our MDFCs were our gods? Um, uh, we knew, I guess we were doing the pathways, um, so we, there were going to be four pathways in the set to finish out the cycles, but other than the pathways, um, it'd be cool if one of the gods, like one for one, like the gods in the set were the MDFCs and the MDFCs in the set were the gods. Um, and what we found was our goal when we made them is we said, okay, let's not repeat ourselves, right? Let's try to do unique things. Um, I think we ended up doing two God and their weapon just cause, we ended up giving um, Hemdall his sword and gave Thor his hammer. Our versions of them, obviously. Um, uh, but we were trying to come up with lots of cool and different things we could do. Um, and so we wrote – what we did is we, we looked at the source material and said, okay, you know, what's a god that's tied to a creature? Oh, Odin is raven. What's a god that's tied to an equipment? What's a god that's tied to a vehicle? What's a, you know, and what's a god tied to an enchantment? Um, and what we found was as we sort of went down those paths, there just was a lot of cool and really neat, interesting things that happen. Um, and then, um, you know, one of the, uh, one of the things that the, the story had, I think brought to us was the idea that, um, um, uh, Tybalt was going to fill in for the Loki character. So the, we wanted a trickster God. That's a big part of Norse mythology. Loki's pretty big um but wouldn't it be cool if the trickster god turned out to be secretly tybalt and the neat thing there was we could use our double face technology to do that so one side was the god of mischief and the other side was tybalt um so anyway there was definitely a lot of cool stuff that went on there um and it was it was like like i said we decided to do the mdfc's early on and like net like the second we designed them in that meeting, it was like instantly clear that we that was what we were doing. Like once we went down that path, there was like, uh, you know, it, it just like the I often tell a story about how we were brainstorming for unglued, uh, how to make the pre-release exciting, and people were pitching things, and I say I'll dress up like a chicken, and they're like, okay, that's what we're doing. Uh, it was kind of those moments, like we're brainstorming, what can we do with the gods? We said double face cards, did a little work on it, like okay, that's what we're doing. We just stopped. That is what's happening. We're we're doing this. So that happened right away. Okay, uh, the next thing is let's talk about foretell. Okay, so um, omens are a big part of Norse mythology. They're, they're a big part of a lot of mythologies. Uh, stories of things that were destined to happen just makes good storytelling, I guess. Um, so what happened was um, uh, Ethan had made a mechanic during Amonkhet called Plot um, that was uh, – we were trying to represent uh, – if you remember, Amonkhet was a combination of Egyptian mythology with bolus. And so we were trying to make a mechanic that felt bolusy. And so the idea of making things, I don't remember exactly how plot worked, but you made things and you, they later came to fruition. And um, But anyway, I think Ethan liked the idea of doing something with um, omens. And so he had pitched some tweak on plot, I believe. And I said, oh, Ethan, 
That reminds me of a mechanic called layaways. Let me talk about layaway real quick. So back in, I don't know, like 20 years ago, um, Hasbro got the rights to Star Wars. George Lucas sold Hasbro the or gave, you know, sold the licensing rights to Hasbro. Hasbro acquired the licensing rights. So one of the side effects of that was Wizard of the Coast was asked to make a Star Wars trading card game. So they went to Richard Garfield and they said, Richard, we want you to make a, a Star Wars trading card game. Uh, and so I got assigned to the design team. So Richard was designing the engine, like the, the game. And then I was assigned to lead the design of the, f- the first set. The, so essentially in magic terms... Richard was designing magic, and then I was in charge of putting Alpha together. Now, given in magic, Richard did all of that. But um, so anyway, uh, very quick version of this is in the Star Wars trading card game. There are three different um, fields. Uh, there is space, there is ground, and there is personal. I think it's called. Um, so the idea is, if you've, ever, if you've ever seen a Star Wars movie, there's all, the fights. The, the big fight at the end goes on on multiple levels, right? There's people on the ground fighting. There's people up in space fighting, and then there's a lightsaber duel between whoever the character main characters are. Um, and so in it, uh, Richard. Um, the way the resource that Richard came up with was you had like points you could spend. And so you could allocate points to trying to play things. Um, but in order to have some bigger things, um, we, not everything got you, your points, things didn't get onto the battlefield or onto the play area until you, um, finished building it. So there was an area called the build zone. And then every turn you could put points toward it until you finished building it. Anyway, that inspired me to make a mechanic called layaway. Uh, and the way layaway worked was um, you could put a card face down, any layaway card you could put face down. For every one mana you spent, you put a counter on it. And then you could, at any time you wanted to, well, I mean, you could cast the face down card as if it were in your hand. So, I mean, you could cast it when it was legal to cast that card. And then um, the card costs one colorless less for every counter on it. Uh, so you always had to pay the colored version of it. But let's say, for example, it costs six uh, generic and one red. Oh, well, I could pay off all the generic and then just for one red play it. Um, you were allowed to overpay, so people didn't necessarily know what it was from how many counters were on it. Anyway, I made Layaway. I don't even remember the set I made it for, but it was, after, it was around the time after Star Wars came out. Um, and anyway, it didn't quite work. Well, not that it didn't work. It worked fine. There just a lot of moving pieces and it didn't quite fit the set I was in. So I put it in mothballs and then it was one of those mechanics that every once in a while we'd pull out again. Um, if you remember from, uh, the story of Kaladesh, like energy was another one of those things that like, oh, we made it, didn't have a use for it and kept putting it away. And then we'd pull it out every once in a while. So layaway was one of the things that we'd pull out. Um, so I think what happened was when Ethan was talking about this, he had pulled plot out of from Amonkhet, something he had put away. I pulled out layaway and sort of foretell ended up being a marrying of a couple different mechanics sort of coming together. Um, we ended up kind of modeling it like morph where, um, you could spend a certain amount of mana. In this case, it's two. Morph is three. But for, for Fortell, you can spend two mana. You put it face down outside. And then there's a secondary cost, a Fortell cost that you could cast it for. Um, we tried – a lot of what we were trying to do is simplify, have less counters on it. And so it's very nice in that because it was a locked number you paid, you didn't have to track it. It's just it cost two to put it face down. And then having the two numbers, having the two plus whatever Fortell cost allowed us to, to have some flexibility and do some cool stuff. Um, and then 
I think foretell um I know we we early versions foretell came like was future turn like you put it down like we were also thinking of stuff like rebound and suspend uh, there are a lot of mechanics that are like, well, what's an omen? Like, I'm going to tell you something that's going to happen. Um, but we liked the idea that you put stuff face down so you knew you knew the future kind of, um, and maybe you could act on it, but it, 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 it may or may not come to pass when you think it's going to come to pass. Um, but anyway, uh, we played with it, and I think our first shot at trying to find the number to, put, to play to face down was two, and I don't think it ever changed. We talked about should it change, but I think we liked how two played, so we, we never actually changed it. So that one never changed. Okay, uh, next. Uh, we knew we wanted combat to be a thing, and so um, we had a mechanic that was in the set that was named that had you using your graveyard as a resource. Um, now that, that mechanic is kind of still in the set. There still is using graveyard as resource, but it's not, when we had done it, it was named and it's not, it is not there in a named form anymore. Um, and so what was it, what was it called? Um, I don't remember. I remember. Um, but anyway, uh, so we ended up putting that as being the combat thing. Because the idea was, oh, we called it Pyre. It was called Pyre. Because uh, the idea was you were honoring the dead. Like the honoring, the, the funerals and things are a big part of Norse and Viking culture. Um, and so, uh, but that ended up, while it stayed a little bit, it didn't um, keep a keyword. It went down in number. So in, st- in its place, um, they ended up putting in a mechanic called Boast. Uh, and Boast is a mechanic that you can only activate if the creature... Uh, is it in combat or has been in combat? I, I'm trying to remember. I think it's in combat. Um, the uh, hmm. um, But anyway, the idea was we wanted something that you had to attack to be able to activate. Um, and both is a pretty cool I actually like how both turned out. Uh, it, it, it's, it's flavorful. It kind of encourages combat. Um, but it also allows you to, you know, there's, there's interesting thinking and process that goes on. Um, so anyway, I... I, I, enjoy, I enjoyed how Boast, how Boast came out. Um, next, Sagas. Um, so Sagas first showed up in uh, Dominaria. Um, they came about because I was very interested in finding, um, you know, I, I wanted to, I, uh, we decided that Dominaria was the world that cared about its past, that it was, it was the history world. And I felt that stories played a very important element in it. And so I wanted to, um, I wanted to find a way to, um, I wanted to find a way to capture the sense of a story. Anyway, uh, it ended up working out very well. Um, we borrowed, we actually took some ideas that we'd had when we first tried to make planeswalkers. Um, and at the time, um, when we first made Planeswalkers, they had three abilities and it would rotate between them. Do ability one, do ability two, do ability three. Then it would rotate back to ability one. The problem when they were Planeswalkers, it just felt they had no agency. It just, they felt that they, because sometimes you would do something that didn't make any sense. Um, like, oh, I make a creature and then I buff that kind of creature. But if, they, if my opponent killed the creature, buffing didn't do anything. And so um, it just didn't, wasn't a good fit for the Planeswalkers. But when we were trying to do stories, it made a lot of sense because, well, story has, like, there's an order to the story. That's what's going to happen. Um, and so anyway, we made sagas. They were very popular. Um, and so we knew we wanted to find a place uh, 
to bring them back. So the first place to bring them back ended up being in um, Theros Beyond Death. Uh, Greek mythology gave us a lot of stories, places we played off of. We had been to the world before, so there were actual stories from the world before we could tell. Um, anyway, this is the second time we brought him back. Um, a lot of people are asking, are Sagas deciduous? And I, they're getting really close to being deciduous. Um, I, I, I think they're on the cusp of just being deciduous. I mean, it's a mechanic the audience really likes, uh, and they're super flavorful, and a lot of worlds just lend themselves to stories, so... It, it it definitely made a lot of sense, and it, it felt pretty cool. Um, but anyway, uh, the the idea for us, for these sagas, was we did multicolor sagas. Every time we were doing sagas, I mean, every time is the third time, but uh, we, we wanted something where we can expand a little bit. I know we had done some four-chapter ones in Theros Bound Death. So this set, we did gold ones. We had never done gold sagas before. Um, and it did a nice job of, we wanted some 10-card cycles that sort of played up uh, the realms. Uh, I think the sagas are mostly tied to the realms. It might not be a hundred percent, but they're mostly tied to the realms. Um, a, a few of them are tied to characters, so not everyone's tied to a realm. But it did give us. We like having some ten card cycles to really hammer home ten, as that that's the number that that matters here. Um, uh, like I said, I, I mentioned last time, uh, Changeling. We had wanted to do something. We needed some glue. I think we brought Changeling in just because it helped. And it, we, we thought it'd be cool to have one of the worlds just be shapeshifters, um, which, which felt... I think that, once again, I, the reason I think that's our world was our, shapeshifters, I don't know. I mean, clearly Loki does shapeshifting. I mean, Loki pretends to be other people and other things. So shapeshifting exists within the world of Norse mythology. I don't know if like, natural shapeshifters were a thing or something we just added that felt natural. Um, but anyway, we brought Changeling back just because uh, Changeling is kind of our catch-all to, to make that happen. Um, we had done Changeling. I, I originally created Changeling in Lorwyn um, because we were making a tribal set, and it was obvious we had eight tribes that we just... We didn't have... A, the, our Asfan was too low, and I was trying to solve the Asfan problem. Uh, and then it dawned on me... Um, well, what if we do wild cards, essentially, was my thought process. Like, what if what if you have cards that count for everything? Uh, and we came up with Changeling, uh, and then the creative team made them into that gr- green jello mold thing. Um, but anyway, we used them there. We then used them again in Modern Horizons, just because Modern Horizons had a similar quality of we wanted to care about a lot of different races, and so we used it there. I think what happened is sort of, it was a happy convenience of we kind of had a world of shapeshifters, and we kind of needed glue, and so I think it came about just because it was a it was a natural fit. I, I think is how how Changeling came about. Okay, um, next snow. Um, so we did not put snow in uh, in the vision design. Uh, obviously, um, one of the things we did write down on the board was the cold climate. When you think of the Vikings, you think of Scandinavia, and it's it's cold, and you know, and, and you you do. I mean, one of the things we always do when we're doing top down is we go and look at pop culture and say, okay, when people think of this, where do they go? Okay, maybe they know Thor from the Marvel movies. Maybe they know How to Train Your Dragon. You're like, what what is the the pop culture that kind of people makes people aware of it? And there is a very strong tie to coldness. Um, now, snow was originally designed uh, by the East Coast playtesters. Back in Ice Age, um, I think the reason they did it was they were really trying to like the set was called Ice Age. The flavor of the story was 
the world had frozen over. So I think they were trying to find a way to represent that concept of how to represent the Ice Age. Um, and the idea they came up with was they just had basic lands that had a quality to them, which they called snow-covered. And then there were cards that cared whether or not you had snow-covered basic lands or not. Um, at the time, it definitely caused some issues in that um, there was some confusion between like understanding that a snow-covered island is not an island. Like it's very much like an island, but like once it rotates out of standard, you can't play a snow-covered island. It's no longer in standard, even though it's very similar to an island. Um anyway, we had not done snow in a long time. I think we when we did cold snap, we said, well, we can't it's kind of hard to avoid doing snow. Uh cold snap was like the missing ice age set with the flavor of it. Because Ice Age only had two sets, and at the time, every other world had three sets. So we did a we had a supplemental product for the summer. So we did this thing called Cold Snap. Oh, it's a, we found it in the file cabinet. It's missing. Um, so we brought snow back there, and then we introduced snow mana because we were trying to expand upon what snow was. So in Cold Snap, we introduced snow mana, and the idea was any permanent that is snow super typed, because um, snow was a super type. Uh, I, when snow first got created in Ice Age, I don't. I'm not sure if it was a super type at the time, but we've since made it into a super type. Um, anyway, any permanent that taps for snow and produces mana produces snow mana of whatever color it's making. Um, and so snow mana allowed us just to try to do something a little bit different. Um, we really didn't do anything with snow. I mean, not that a lot of worlds had a strong cold component to it. Um, but when we made Modern Horizons... Uh, we were trying to find something sexy to do with the basic lands. And at the time, we had not made, since Cold Snap, we had not made uh, snow-covered basic lands. And so it was decided that we would put it into Modern Horizons. Since we'd have the lands, we'd you know, make some cards that cared and stuff. Um, so Modern Horizons made use of snow. Um, it just went over really well. And so I think the what happened was, I remember the timing of it. I think Modern Horizons came out after Vision Design had handed off. Like we we hadn't yet seen snow. Like the public had been talking about snow, but there's a lot of things that the public asked for. Um, but when Modern Horizons came out, it just went over well. And so I think when Dave Humphreys, who was the set lead, um, he decided to add snow. It, it made a lot of sense. I mean, clearly, clearly, when you think Norse mythology, you think cold. And so Dave added in a snow component. Um, Obviously, the basic lands became snow-covered lands. Uh, Day put in snow-covered dual lands. Um, originally, he was going to repeat the ones, or at least the allied ones, from um, Cold Snap, but he ended up making ones that had both land types, uh, just made them a little more useful, uh, and then finished, made the whole cycle of those. Um, the other problem was the original ones had a few, a few of the names were very Dominarian in their name, and so this allowed him just to make a brand new set of, of ten that didn't have any of those problems. Um... Uh, the one last thing that uh, I haven't mentioned yet is the runes. I talked about the runes a little earlier. So runes are sort of uh, language, uh, and that um, there's a lot. A lot we we talked about the magic was the idea of runes holding power. Um, the idea of written language having power shows up in a lot of mythologies. But anyway, we wanted to do something with runes. We had tried a whole bunch of different things with them, uh, but in the end, the thing that we ended up going with. Uh, was we made a cycle of auras. It ended up being an aura subtype. Or, yeah, well, an enchantment subtype that went on auras. Uh, and the way runes work is it, you enchant a permanent, uh, and then if it's enchanting um, 
uh, creature, it does one thing, and if it's enchanting a permanent, I'm sorry, if it's enchanting an equipment, so for example, like the white one, Rune of Sustenance, uh, if it's enchanting a, a, a creature, the creature has lifelink. If it's enchanting an equipment, the equipment grants lifelink. So the idea was you could sort of put the rune on the person to directly give them the ability, or you could put it on an equipment, and that equipment will grant the ability. Um, and then uh, the fact that it's a subtype meant that we could care about it. Like, we, um, like Rune Forge Champion uh, is a card that like, cares about runes. Um, like, when you enter your battlefield, you can go search your library for a rune. Um, the rule is we don't make subtypes um, unless... They mechanically matter. Some reason we can make super types, but we don't make subtypes uh, unless they mechanically matter. And so we made runes matter. But anyway, it was one of those things that we kept finding, like runes kept showing up in a lot of different areas along the way. Like we knew we wanted to do runes. Um, but anyway, this version where it had double utility, so it it just enchanting equipment is just so narrow was the problem. And kind of, we wanted to enchant equipment because that's where the flavor is, like putting runes on your sword and stuff. Um, but then the idea was, oh, well, what if we made it something that can go on creatures or can go on um, equipment? And, and that's where the runes ended up coming from. Anyway, that, my friends, uh, I, I was very happy. I, I think call time turned out really well. Um, there are a lot of moving pieces here. Like I said, it, it shifted its slot. Um, it had, you know, a lot of, it, it, a lot of stuff went on with this set behind the scenes. Um, but I think like when the dust settled, it just, it turned out really well. Like, I think it's a really fun set. Like, um, one of the things about having something that we, everybody wanted us to deliver forever is like when you finally delivered, especially after so many years, like people have been asking this for 20 plus years, like, okay, we're finally doing it. You know, I'm, I'm very happy we did it well because it's something where, um, when you wait, when, when you make people wait, when you finally deliver, you want to make sure you do it right. So anyway. Um, that, my friends, is my story of call time design. Um, I think I hit all the major things. Um, if I forgot something, as always, I apologize. I, I hit all the ones I remembered. Uh, but anyway, that, that, my friends, is the story. And I can see my desk. Uh, so we all know what that means. This is, my, this is the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I hope you enjoyed uh, the story of call time. Anyway, guys, I will see you next week. Bye-bye.